Good afternoon and welcome to Everyday Law. I'm your host, Bob Clark. As always, any of the opinions that are offered on this show are not the opinions of Howard County Community College, its faculty, staff, and students. And any legal information that is derived from our discussions today should not be taken as legal instruction for an individual case. If you have a legal problem, it is vitally important that you consult an attorney and give them all the facts because every legal situation is unique and different. We have the privilege today of having a lawyer of great renown who has recently gone into a new phase of his life with retirement. And I'm speaking to Richard Lerner. Welcome to the show, Rich. Thanks, Bob. Happy to be here. We, Rich and I, have acquaintanceship going back 40 years or more to law school at the University of North Carolina back in the olden days. And we also have had the good fortune to be participants in the University of Maryland basketball visually uh, going to the games together. And uh, Rich recently retired from the federal government. Can you tell us a little bit about where you worked and what you did? Sure. I worked the last roughly 24 years, a little less than that, at the Federal Communications Commission. I spent the first uh, roughly 10 years I'll do some quick math. Uh, 12 years, let's make it. Somewhere in there. Uh, in the what was then called, uh, or is now called the Wireline Competition Bureau, sort of the part of the commission that regulates, uh, originally regulated the telephone companies. They still exist? Yes, they do. Okay. But would also cover other wireline activities such as broadband internet uh, okay. is within their scope. And then uh, after that, I spent about six, 2006, two, about four years in the offices of the managing director's office. A little redundant. Uh, just office of the managing director, gotcha. uh, which is sort of the part of the commission that uh, oversees the internal uh, workings of the commission more than that regard I was uh, counsel to the chief financial officer but some of my, a large part of my role had to do with liaison between the commission and the universal service administrative corporation which is an outside sort of a contractor semi-governmental okay. entity that administers the the commission's universal service program several billion dollars uh, a year and what portion of that did you receive just my weekly or bi-weekly uh, paycheck. So a million um, or two every week? Yeah. Oh, approximately. yeah. Approximately? Okay, good. And then uh, I moved from there to the International Bureau for six years, where I represented the commission in some international uh, meetings. And then uh, the last two years before retirement, I was in the Office of Intergovernment. Office of Intergovernmental Affairs, where we served as liaison sort of between the commission and state and local governments and any other federal agencies besides the Hill, which we have when a separate- When the Hill, you're talking about Capitol Hill. Capitol Hill, yeah, we're Congress. We have a separate sure. department that deals with them. So things, I dare say, have changed across the span of your career at the FCC. Is that a fair statement? Yes, okay. that's a fair statement. And I mean, I guess what I'm talking about is that the internet has blown up so much during that period of time. And I gather that the FCC is involved in some respects with the internet and with broadband. Yes, it has. Uh, as anybody who's been around over the last 20, 24 years can tell you, uh, you know, the internet, when I first started at the commission, 
to me was, you know, largely email and you accessed it often with, uh, you know, a dial up and dial up connection and modem. So was that something the FCC oversaw? We were involved with that, uh, with the dial up aspect of it and how to regulate or not regulate. So that was the, your fault, that crappy service? <laughs> the the carriers or the internet providers like AOL and things like that to shortly or about the time I started, browsers, internet browsers developed, Netscape, and people started to access the World Wide Web and, you know, mostly uh you know, print type stuff, and then you start to get a lot more video and other applications. And at the same time, you had the cell phone revolution, and people. So access- cell phones are covered by the FCC as well. Of course, but different bureau than I worked in. Although we sometimes had some overlap. So just so our audience understands, we talk about the Federal Communications Commission. It is literally a commission, a group of people, correct? Five members of the commission, a chairman or chairwoman, as the case may be, and four uh, commissioners. They are appointed by the president. And all, all five of them All are? five of them are appointed by the president and confirmed by the Senate. They have generally five-year terms. And they are appointed. The there can be no more than three members of the commission from any one particular political party at any one time. So uh, right now there are there's a vacancy on the commission. There's okay. been a nomination, but he hasn't been confirmed yet. So you haven't been confirmed yet. I was neither nominated, uh, so I can't be confirmed okay. yet. But okay. I have the votes. Uh, I, if it I, ever, if it great. ever comes to pass, uh, I do have the votes all lined up. Excellent. So, uh, Excellent. So there are presently four commissioners: are there two Democrats and two Republicans. Three, three Republicans and one Democrat. And there's this, the second Democrat is now his nomination is pending. So is that a function of the fact that President Trump has been in office now for however long? It seems endless. Yeah. It was uh, at the end of 2016, there were three Democrats and two Republicans. And then Chairman Wheeler uh, stepped down and Commissioner Pai was promoted to be chairman. And a new Republican commissioner was appointed, uh, Commissioner Brendan Carr. So if he did an autobiography, would that be Life of Pi? Yeah. Okay, just checking. I figured that I wanted to be sort of up to date on things. So the notion of net neutrality is something that has been central to at least public perception of the FCC in recent years. Can you give us an idea what that means in layperson terms? Sure. Uh, One of the key aspects of net neutrality is that your internet service provider shouldn't be able to block you from getting the access to what you want or the places you want to go on the internet. Is that presently the case, that they can do that? Presently, they can, as long as they tell you about it. So some transparency rules, but under the current status of as things stand right now, the net neutrality rules that we had in place were overturned beginning of this year, and so they are no longer any rules. 
on that. So let me just ask you sort of a historical question. Is net neutrality something that you've been thinking about for 30 years, or when did it come into the picture and you become cognizant of it? It's been around uh, at the commission for a number of years. The first part, the first time it really uh, was... um, I was going to say verbalized, but that's not quite the okay. uh, right uh, verb. Was in the early two thousands, and it was at the same time the com- the commission uh, looked at things and said, and uh, I don't want to get too much into the weeds on legal stuff, but I'm prepared sure. to some some, some weed dwelling uh, is okay. Uh, Go ahead. In that. Um, the commission can regulate has to before it can do anything it has to identify what its authority is to regulate things and sure. what it is under the statute and how it's going to do it and under what authority and so in the early 2000s under chairman Michael Powell son of Colin Powell I former remember. general and uh, secretary of state they decided to take a light touch approach, as you might say, and say that broadband, in this case it was now broadband internet service, you know, provided by a cable company or your phone company, is should not be regulated as a common carrier with strict heavy regulations. And instead, we'll just do things lightly, but the, there, there should be some, you know, policy guidelines, including some net neutrality type uh, restrictions. Then um, there's been a long history from then, including a Supreme Court case early on, uh, as to how that's evolved to where we are. Uh, so today. is it something that is susceptible to definition by the Republicans favor this and the Democrats this, progressives, conservatives, or how, how does it break down? It's interesting. When I first came to the commission in 96, it wasn't particularly partisan. Okay. And now it's become that way. I think it's a function of a couple things. One is just the general more partisan nature of our politics today but also um, driven some by when I started in 1996, the big player, you have different spheres. You've got the broadcast and the cable, but in the sort of the phone and common carrier and wireline space, the, the big players were on the one hand what used to be known as the baby bells, Southwest Bell, Bell Atlantic at the time, which included Chesapeake and Potomac Telephone Company, to C&P? be a little uh, nostalgic Remember? around here. So the the local telephone companies who provided you the service uh, that you made a call from you know Columbia across the street to your neighbor's house that was all governed by that was provided by the the baby bells or the local telephone company and on the other side of things you had the AT&T and MCI the the long distance carriers and there was a lot of fighting between the local telephone companies and the long distance companies largely about access charges and how much the long-distance companies should have to pay the local telephone companies to be able to get phone calls delivered. And the both those companies contributed a lot of money to, to parties on both sides of the aisle. But over time, AT&T, the long-distance company, got bought by Southwest Bell, one of its former baby bells, and 
they converted the name. Southwest Bell did the buying, but they kept the AT&T uh, brand name. Sure. So they came together. MCI ended up into Bell Atlantic, merged with 9X, which created Verizon, and MCI moved into that. So now basically all those separate entities, separate sides are all sort of on the same side. And the other side of the debate now that's carrying the fight against them are more Google, Netflix, uh, Amazon. And so it's sort of become that those companies are more aligned, the Silicon Valley type are more aligned with the, the Democratic Party and the company, the phone companies and now the cable companies who also provide uh, broadband internet service. Uh, they are donating a lot to the Republican Party, although they they donate to the Democrats as well. They try Probably to cover a their wise they, way co- to go. they cover their bases, uh, but that's I think that's been an aspect of why it's uh, become somewhat more partisan. So they used to fight over access charges between phone companies, and across time, it became fighting over how much access you would have to give other entities on your internet lines or can you kind of well so the the, the, the basic real quickly the net neutrality rules that the commission most recently passed before they were undone by the current commission in 2015 prohibited broad, broadband providers from blocking lawful content applications services or non-harmful devices it prohibited throttling, uh, reducing de- how degre- much degrading or impairing uh, access to the same, unless it was necessary for network management. That there was just you know they had so much traffic at one time that they had to. Uh, there was an anti-paid prioritization rule. Uh, what does that mean? So uh, people sometimes shorthand that into. F- Fast lane, uh, and there's a sometimes a misunderstanding. So about you that. could pay more money to have your content go more rapidly, or right. So a Google or Netflix could say, could the Verizon could go to Google and Netflix and say, hey, if you want your stuff to get through, and and you say, and when I say Google, that doesn't just mean Google for searches, which doesn't use up a lot of bandwidth. Sure. But remember, Google owns YouTube. Yeah. So YouTube and Netflix are two of the biggest bandwidth cons- sure. consumers. So uh, Verizon go to say, you know, Google or Netflix and say, hey, you know, you want your stuff to get there, you know, we'll, if you pay us more, we'll make sure your stuff gets there faster than, say, from Hulu gotcha. or from uh, some new startup that's trying to stream content or send other content. little one like Amazon, for example. Right. So in essence, there were rules that prevailed under the Obama administration. And then since President Trump has come in, there are new rules. Actually, there's more of an absence of rules Ah, than than, than new rules uh, right now. So is the net more neutral or less neutral presently? I don't think it's really changed too much. I mean, it's only been a few months that they've been in place, and I don't think it's changed too much in the short term. I think there's more risk as things as years go by if this stays in, and and the the decision by the commission to deregulate from earlier this year that decision is on appeal to the D.C. Circuit, 
the federal appellate court. Sure. And uh, so or, who, who who's appealing it? The lead named uh, party is Mozilla. Okay. Uh, which you may recognize as Firefox's. Uh, I remember when that used to be important. <laughs> so it's Mozilla versus FCC, and the argument, and there's a number of other, uh, the Internet Association, and a lot of big internet players. The state, a lot of the states, are in on the case because the the commission's decision to deregulate preempted the states from stepping in and doing some regulation of their own. So a lot of the states are involved and that order is set for oral argument uh february 1st of 2019 okay so they're haggling over whether the fcc has the ability to do this in the first place yes and no so it goes part a lot of it goes back to a decision that actually from environmental law called the chevron case. It's a Supreme Court case. And it stands for the principle that where a statute is ambiguous or arguably... Statute meaning a law. A law passed by Congress is ambiguous and the regulatory agency is interpreting it that if it's ambiguous, there, as the expert agency, their determination should be given some deference Okay. Uh, Greater weight than other people. Well, it should. It, you should. If if it's a reasoned application, they should. Their their uh, determination should be upheld. So some of the history then is in two thousand five. There was a Supreme Court case with the interesting name of telecommunication National Cable Telecommunications Association versus Brand X. Oh, I like it. <laughs> Brand X was a, uh, a smaller internet provider. And the issue in that was that the commission had ruled that broadband cable companies did not provide a telecommunications service. Hmm. The commission said, no, it's an information service, not a telecommunications service. And so the issue in the Supreme Court was whether they should be ent- entitled to Chevron deference in interpreting what telecommunications service. And you had an interesting breakdown in the court, and it was it, the the court ruled six to three that yes, it was uh, vague enough that they should be entitled to Chevron deference. And the six judges were the majority opinion was written by Clarence Thomas. Wow, and he was joined by Chief Justice Rehnquist, O'Connor, Kennedy, Stevens. And Breyer. That's an odd amalgam of conservatives and linchpin. And, and, and dissenting was Scalia, who wrote the opinion, joined by Justice Ginsburg and Justice Souter. So you had what happened was you had the majority saying, yeah, it's vague enough uh, that they should be given Chevron deference. And, and with Breyer in his concurring thing saying just barely is it ambiguous enough to open the door for still would have been five to four even right right? meanwhile Scalia said what are you talking about this is they don't have deference here it's clearly a telecommunication service it's unreasonable to interpret the statute 
in another way. It's therefore subject to Title II, which is strict uh, regulation. He said it's you know breaking it down into these various things and saying, oh, it's an information service because it, you've got, in addition to uh, providing the telecommunication service, they also maybe give you an email account and some other things. That's like saying you know a pizza company isn't real selling pizza because they also deliver it to your door. I gotcha. So the court then said they had Chevron deference. So the commission was now in a situation where it was say, had been saying, we don't have to regulate it strictly. We're interpreting it as something else. But now the question is, since it's not Title II, how can they regulate it? And the rule, the policy that Powell had said that you couldn't block and things uh, – couple years later, Comcast was caught blocking something. The commission went after them, and it went to the D.C. Circuit. And they said, well, hey, if it's not Title II, you're saying you've got this ancillary jurisdiction. Sorry, uh, that doesn't cut it. You can't uh, regulate it on that basis. So I went back to the commission, who then came up with a new theory uh, as to why they could regulate things on a different basis than Title II. And again, it went to the D.C. Circuit. And again, they said, well, here you, they, they supported the commission most of the way and said, yeah, you've got the jurisdiction under another s- statute on the Act, uh, Section 706, for those of you who are... All the people uh, who, listening, I'm sure, know right, that right, wouldn't uh, like the back uh, of their may, hand. May want to uh, do the research uh, and said, yeah, you've, you've got some of the authority under Section 706, but the rules you want to make about not blocking, those are, those are Title II-type rules. And, yeah, you can do the transparency rules, but these other ones that are sort of Title II rules, you really can't do that under 706 the way you've explained. So it came back again, and the commission this time in 2015 under President Obama uh, said, all right, we're going to go back and revisit our determination that it was not a telecommunications service and it's an information service, and we're going to change our mind. There's been... A lot of things have changed since then. When broadband service first came around, people got all those things together. But now, you know, you lots get them of time- piecemeal. Yeah, you got you got use Gmail. You don't use you, you may use Gmail for your email, and if you want to do a web page, you use some other thing. You don't just use it from uh, Verizon or Comcast, and so they said, we, we've determined it is a telecommunication service, so Title II strict regulation applies. We're going to forbear from applying most of Title II regulation, but we will regulate by doing uh, no paid prioritization, no blocking, no throttling, and apply those rules. So that and would the, be net neutrality. Right. So, and so they created the net neutrality rules, and those went up to the D.C. Circuit again, and they basically said... Yeah, under Chevron, you know, you can. The commission is allowed to change its rules as long as it gives a reasoned basis, and uh, it's entitled to Chevron deference uh, under the Brand X case. And uh, we affirm those rules. Within a few months, there was an election and uh, a new president, and with the new president became a new chairman, 
And with the new chairman, they started a new uh, rulemaking to re-examine those rules. And they said, no, we're changing it all back again. It's not a telecommunication service. It's an information service. And we should be hands-off this stuff. Let the FTC handle this and antitrust law and, you know, competition. Uh, although whether lots of people don't have so much competition for their broadband internet access. Uh, no question. So, And that's wh- on appeal, as I said before. Yeah, I was just Mo- going to say, one would presume that, that, that this will all come around again, and then another change of administration perhaps will occur in 2020, and a new philosophical stance will be done by the FCC. And there's a lot of lawyers whose kids' college education is being paid for well, isn't that a this. nice thing? Yeah, well, there's some good to come of it. So just, you know, you, you mentioned you have some international involvement. Do other countries do this differently? It's interesting. You know, we were sort of the, one of the leaders in that. And when I was in the International Bureau, we were sort of advocating and proselytizing other countries. Uh, this is the way to, you should to, do it. Exactly. And uh, a lot of them have followed suit. Uh, Europe has some net neutrality uh, type rules. And of course, now we're, we backed away from that. So I guess the ultimate question in this is, does blocking, like you described the Comcast got in trouble or somebody got in trouble for blocking, does that go on at the present? I don't think there's too much of it going on. But, of course, the question is, if they don't want to do it ever, why are they fighting so darn hard against the rules? Yeah. I mean, you know. You know, it always raises. Well, I mean, and there has to be. Uh, you know, enormous amounts of money involved in Oh, sure. This. You know, I mean, just look at it. You know, the. I mean, you can see the possible conflict if, you know, right now, if you have, say, Verizon as your broadband internet provider and you may have them as your cable TV, TV provider Fios. as well, through, you know, Fios, you know, a lot of people are out there saying, you know, I don't need their cable service anymore. I'll get Sling TV or I think there's YouTube, I think, has one now. You know, there's several, you know, you can get, chan- you know, a lot of these. Uh, it's not just streaming Netflix's content. You can get a lot of, quote unquote, channels uh, through one of these other services. And I can drop my uh, TV service. I just need the Internet and I'll add on some of this stuff and some of that stuff as I. So there's conflicting interests. In right. That. Exactly. So you could see where Verizon could want to make it difficult for Sling TV to pick one as an example. Sure. One would think that there's also a certain amount of things have changed so rapidly and the landscape has been altered that there are unanticipated reasons they might want to have greater or lesser control in the future. Sure, and I can't. It's seeing as how, by definition, they're unanticipated, I can't tell you what they are. Well, if you were a, a, a savvy investor, perhaps that would be the case. Well, before we depart, I would be remiss if I didn't discuss briefly your prowess in the realm of Jeopardy. Okay. And uh, it's been some years ago, but my recollection is that you were a Jeopardy champion and, in fact, went to the Tournament of Champions. Am I correct in this? You are correct. I was a four-time champion on the quote-unquote the regular show and then returned for the Tournament of Champions and was runner-up there. But my, my game show experience predates Jeopardy. I recall that. If you could, just for our audience, this might interest our County Community College uh, you know, 
Sure. So first, uh, going way back uh, in high school, I was on my high school quiz team. Well, I was too. Come uh, on. It's which, academic. Which is called It's Academic in this area. Yeah. Back in Ohio, where I was reared, it was called High School Quiz. And then I advanced uh, later in the mid-80s to Tic-Tac-Doe with I Wink Martindale. Remember that? How yeah. was Wink? Delightful. Good. As nice as Alex Brebeck? Or nicer. Even. Nicer. Okay. <laughs> and then uh, I had tried out for Jeopardy! actually, with Art Fleming as host when I was first turned 18 and was rejected for the show. And then when the, the show had been canceled, I thought I'd never be able to live my dream and get on the, and get on the show. But after I was on Tic Tac Doe, the show was revived with Alex Trebek. I was prohibited from going on for a few years because of my Tic Tac Doe appearance. But ultimately, that time period wore off and I was allowed on. So ultimately, you lost in the the final Jeopardy. Am I right about that? Uh, well, it was a tournament of champions is a two day combination, and I I missed final Jeopardy in the first day of the two days, and that put me in a pretty deep hole that I wasn't really able to get out of uh, on the second day. And have you kept up with Alex Trebek all these years? Uh, no, uh, not particularly, but I was at lunch a few years ago in D.C. and thought I heard a familiar voice at the table next to me and looked and saw not only was the voice, but also the face was familiar. It was the guy who had beaten me in the Tournament of Champions was at the table uh, next to me having lunch. Was he there with all kinds of beautiful people eating caviar? Uh, no, he was eating uh, pizza. Okay. All right. Well, so he hasn't gone too past you and, you know, eclipsing you. Well, I had lunch with you last week, so I was having lunch with the beautiful people. Well, you know, I appreciate that. And on that note, I'd like to thank Rich Lerner for his appearance today. I hope that our audience has some comprehension of net neutrality and I look forward to having you on again sometime, Rich. Thank you. Okay. My pleasure. This is Everyday Law. I'm your host, Bob Clark. Farewell. Connect with us. We are Dragon Digital Radio.